Welcome to the ride. Life, Work, and Wealth Podcast with your host, Chris Rowe. Years ago, Chris was a paramedic and witnessed many people not getting another tomorrow, and it shaped who he is now as a financial strategist. Chris doesn't just help people plan for a secure tomorrow, he helps them plan for a better today. Chris lives in Burlington, Ontario, and is an investment advisor at Three Hats Financial, a trade name of Harborfront Wealth Management, an IROC dealer. Let's get to it. Estate planning may not be top of mind, but as Chris Duro explains, it really doesn't matter your age or your assets. There are some things you should be aware of. I'm Patrice Sakora, And Chris, where do you want to start with this list? Thanks, Patrice. Well, the most important thing to start with is the disclaimer, <laughs> because okay. before, before we dive into this important topic, I am not a lawyer and I am not giving legal advice. For any legal advice, you're going to obviously need to speak to a lawyer. So we're going to just go through some, some estate planning, financial tips and that. But yeah, for the actual legal advice, you got to speak to the lawyer. Okay. So one of the first things we'll talk about is wills and why it's important to have them and what to do if they're old. So everyone knows they should have it. Well, I assume everyone knows they should have a will and a power of attorney, which we'll go over. So not just the rich. What I've noticed over my career, and obviously a lot of lawyers I've spoken to as well agree, a lot of people procrastinate on this. It's talking about death, leaving your kids to somebody else, which for young parents, that will be the most difficult thing. So before you go see a lawyer, make sure you and your spouse figure out who would watch the kids for you or take care of the kids, I should say, if something were to happen to both of you, because I find that's the biggest hurdle for a lot of younger couples, because of course, you two are like the couple's going to be the best option for that, obviously. So it's very difficult to think of, well, if we weren't here, who would take care of our kids? So you want to definitely have those discussions before you start going down the path of the lawyer to get a will done. So what I mean by procrastination and why a lot of people do this is it's about death. It's not about a very pleasant topic. And some people really will try to avoid that. And I've had couples come in, new clients in their 60s, late 60s, and we start talking about the will and they're like, yep, I've uh, been meaning to do that. We've really procrastinated on that and should get around to that. I'm like, <laughs> In their 60s and they still don't have a will? 100%. And I was like, your kids are in their 30s now, still no will. But some people have a very, very difficult time talking about death and they will just consciously, unconsciously procrastinate. So right now, is a pretty good time to do this type of thing because at least here in Ontario, we're, we're still under lockdown. So a lot of people have a lot of extra time right now. I've also come across not only just people later in life that haven't done it. I've also come across people with high risk jobs, police officers, firefighters, no will. So it's obviously just an extremely important thing to get put in place. You know, you could even turn it around and say, you did say it is, you've got to think about death and, and mortality. And that's true. But think about it as, looking at life for your kids as well. Yeah, exactly. No, I very good point. And well, it why it's important is because really if you don't have one, it's your will's not going to go where you want it to go and if you have children, you're leaving it up to the courts to pick the guardian of them. Now, they're not just going to pick like 
your neighbor or some like like a random, obviously, um, they have a chart and it would go to family members and all of that. But it's not you leaving with that decision. So it's it's very very important to have it put in place. And we're not going to spend the whole episode talking about wills. So for anyone that needs but wants more detail on that, you can go back and I did a full episode on why it's important to have a will and why not to wait. Just to, there's a couple of things in there to kind of kick people in the butt to get it done. And that's episode six. So you can go back and, and, and listen to that if you want to listen to one specifically on why to get a will and why to get it now. The other thing is when we have new clients come in, we speak about the wills and a lot of times, great, they have them done, but they are very out of date. Sometimes you have 40-year-old adult children and they still have the guardians listed on the will of who's going to take care of them if they, if the parents pass away. So it's really important just to make sure that those are reviewed. And also just another side note while we're speaking about updating and things like that is with wills, it's important not just to name the executor as the beneficiary of the assets. The goal is to have assets roll to multiple beneficiaries. So if that's what you want, you want to make sure just that that's clearly outlined. Mm -hmm. All right. So reviewing your will, if you just tell people to review it when it's old, that doesn't really help. So the time frame usually around that is every five years. If nothing is significantly changed, then every five years you should be going through that and reviewing that. Now, if you've gone through a major life event before that, well, obviously you should be reviewing it before the five-year mark. And uh, major transitions or life events would be uh, examples like getting married. Well, that's a big one. Getting married, yeah. Uh, support or divorce from your spouse. Starting a common law relationship, which I'll touch on in a bit. Becoming having your first child, becoming a parent. Say there's a big windfall or a big change in your financial situation. You definitely want to adjust your will for that. What about if your estate's trustee or the executor has died or? What if the relationships significantly change with that individual? You want to make sure that you change that. And of course, maybe other relationships have changed for beneficiaries and things like that, which we see with clients. And you would want to make sure you, you go and change that as well if, if, if any of those scenarios happen. So you just want to make sure you review it and make sure it's, it says what you want to have happen when you pass away and make sure that it simply takes into account the property and debts you now have. If it doesn't reflect that now, then you got updated. Other two things is now with the wills, I won't get into a ton here on this, but the other important documents to have along with a will is that there's they're called powers of attorneys, POAs, and you want to have one for property and personal. There's two different ones. The property is the legal authority for people that really have access to property, like bank accounts, finances, um, Let's say one of your parents goes into a nursing home and you got to sell the house. Well, you're able to now do that for them. So that would be the POA for property. For personal, the POA for personal is a different document. And this is basically to deal with a person or a parent who's incapacitated. So it would allow you to be involved in like in monitoring medical care for them, talking to doctors on their behalf allowing you to change doctors if necessary for them. And then also really important is to have discussions around the wishes with the individual that if they are incapacitated, the level of care they would receive, mm -hmm. such as say they're major dementia or things like that. And you go 
you have a heart attack, go vital signs absent. Would you want full resuscitation? Obviously, these powers of attorneys have to be done while the person is still of sound mind. So that's important because some of the lawyers we've used over the years, I've had clients calling in a panic that their parents who are not clients of ours don't have an updated or a power of attorney or will in place. And they literally are wanting the lawyer to come to the hospital and do it in the hospital room for the their parent. And lawyers will not do that because they don't want to do a will or power of attorney under duress or stress or those scenarios because lawyers can explain that in much better detail than I can, but it puts them in a bad situation. So this is really important that this has to be done before that cut that situation comes up. Yeah, actually an example I use, Patrice, is you remember I, you obviously know I used to be a firefighter. And I always remember this example. So when I was a firefighter, uh, a very long time ago, we were in the living room and the gentleman had had a, a heart attack and he was vital signs absent. And there was, it was during a, a, a large family get together. And we literally had to have police come to those calls anyways, but usually they're standing there just assisting, making notes right. and things like that. We literally need the police to be breaking up pretty much fight, argument, verbal, and some pushing, because obviously it's a high-stress situation, because you had half the family arguing, don't resuscitate him. That was not what he wanted. And the other half saying, do resuscitate him, but they had no document. They had no documents to prove it. So in that situation, the emergency service personnel have to resuscitate. And I just remember, like, you're trying to focus on the individual, that's the that's the priority, but all around you, you have just this ridiculous argument and fights and pushing. It was it was ridiculous, but that's just something most people wouldn't think of. So I just that came to to my mind as an example of a really bad situation, not having the discussion beforehand. Well, Chris, if they don't have these documents and they end up in the hospital, what happens? Well, if they if they go vital signs absence and they yeah. don't have a thing called a do not resuscitate do not resuscitate order in place, they the hospital or emergency service personnel have to go to all measures to try and resuscitate. The document has to be done prior to. Uh, okay, so next thing we'll we'll touch on is is beneficiaries and making sure they're named. So it's very important to review this if you haven't for a while. We'll have new clients when they come to us and we review this with them. And it's sometimes we get surprises on their face when their accounts are transferred. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Transferred over. And we're like, okay, so we're just reviewing everything's transferred over. Your new clients to us. This is our process. We'll go through everything. And here's the beneficiaries. And sometimes you'll see their face like, are you kidding? And I'm like, <laughs> no. And they're like, wow, I did not know that mom or dad or my ex-spouse or whoever was still listed on that. We absolutely need to change that. And the good news is, well, you're alive and we are changing, (laughs) but it happens. I'm not going to say it happens often. It just, it does happen. So you want to make sure that you review who are the beneficiaries listed. And I've heard them. I don't know if other people have, but there, I have heard full blown horror stories of someone passing and them not changing the beneficiaries. And now the proceeds going to their ex-spouse, even though they've been remarried for a while. I heard of one, it was actually a financial advisor I know, and it was a client he just didn't have very good communication with. He moved to a different country. 
life insurance policy was done a very long time ago. And he passed, was remarried for 10 years. And on the life insurance policy, it was still listed as the ex-spouse. Oh my. Now, maybe that's what he wanted. Maybe not. I don't know. But there was definitely a big surprise when the brother was calling, expecting to the executor, expecting everything to be wrapped up and go to his wife when it was not going to be. And the beneficiaries are confidential. So the advisor couldn't even tell the executor that that's what it was in that life insurance policy. So anyways, just, I like to give these examples just because this stuff does happen. This is why we're going over this stuff to, so that the listeners, this doesn't happen to Mm -hmm. you. Things you can name beneficiaries on is like life insurance. Obviously I just mentioned pensions, even critical illness. If you have, so critical illness is, is, is an insurance coverage that if you get diagnosed with, there's like up to 24, 28 different conditions. The big ones are cancer, heart attack, and stroke. Uh, once again, if you want a full-fledged episode on that to educate yourself, we've done a pod- podcast on that. Mm-hmm. But that is something that if you get sick, it gives you the benefits. However, there is a return of premium on if the person that has the critical illness dies before the policy expires, they have not claimed, there is a death benefit. So you can name a beneficiary on that. The other things are like the like the register investment accounts such as your RSP, a RIF, a Lira, a LIF, TFSA, all those things you can name beneficiaries on. So you want to keep in mind that when you name a beneficiary on these registered accounts, that if it goes to anyone besides a spouse or a financially dependent child or grandchild under the, the, under the age of 18, that even though the beneficiary gets the proceeds from those registered vehicles, except the TFSA, I'll talk about in a second. So once again, we're talking about RSC, RSP, RIF, Lira, LIF, that can go to the beneficiary, but there's still taxes due from the estate on that. So if your adult child is a beneficiary and they receive that, the executive and, and, the, and the beneficiary still need to realize the estate still needs to pay tax on that. So if the estate could, if the estate could be having a different beneficiary, for example, in case of like a second marriage, and these registered investments go somewhere else, you can see there'd be a bit of a problem there. Mm-hmm. Tax-free savings accounts are different. They don't, uh, there's no taxes on that if you pass. So mention is you want to make sure that if it's a spouse that's listed as the beneficiary on tax-free savings account, that it's checked off that there's the successor annuitant, not just the beneficiary, because there's a difference on if that's checked off or not. If they're checked off as a successor annuitant or and that it the TFSA will just simply roll to them without any tax implications or anything else. Uh, if it's checked off as a beneficiary, it's not as simple if it's a spouse. So you just want to make sure that that's checked off with the tax-free savings accounts as opposed to just a regular beneficiary. Getting a little deep here. Sorry. I'll, no, no, I'll, no, no. This is why yeah. this is why they need a financial advisor to help out with this. Yeah. It's there's yeah, and that, that's that's the thing. There is a lot of when it comes to estate planning, there's a lot of money. Every, people have heard this, but the baby boomer is not going to be transferring. They're saying it's one of the biggest trends, one of the biggest transitions of wealth right. come, coming because the benefit of the baby boomer is eventually passing and leaving that. There's so many moving parts on this it, uh, rules and taxation, all that's changing. It's simple. Like when I speak to my clients, I'm like, you got, you got to pick your beneficiaries because if you don't estate plan properly, one of the biggest beneficiaries is going to be the the government. And Mm. I don't know 
too many people that want to leave more money to the government <laughs> on their last breath out of here after paying a lifetime of tax. Okay. So next one is avoiding probate. So when you pass away, there'll be a charge on the estate for probate. And we just hear a lot of planning around this and it is important, but what's more important is the planning to avoid probate should not supersede other considerations like putting like parents, putting principal residents all of a sudden in joint name with their children and uh, joint investment accounts with their children. And the reason is you got to be careful about putting adult children joint on those because first of all, there's going to be immediate capital gains realized. So that's a whole bunch of tax mm. that you'll be, that you'll be paying. Um, the, uh, the other possible risk to the parent is if the child becomes insolvent or divorced. Well, now they own half your house or your investment account. So that's now part and liable on that, sure. that, that situation. So you got to be really careful in that. And at the end of the day, the average rate for probate is one and a half percent of the, of the estate. So yes, by proper planning, you can avoid this, but it shouldn't be the only goal because you could pay a lot more in capital gains realization and other things and that to potentially try and save the one and a half percent, but pay a lot more to do that. So it just, it's just, I was speaking to a lawyer the other day and he said, this is one of his biggest pet peeves is that just people going into heavy planning to avoid probate. They're just, when they're not thinking about a whole bunch of other factors. And once again, that's the whole point of having a financial advisor to help you with this. Common law marriage. Talk about that. Yeah. So that that's a big one, common law versus married, because we're seeing a lot more common law, a uh, significant amount. Like actually we, that episode we just did recently, Patrice on divorce. I, I remember mm -hmm. there's a stat in there that's like, Literally, the marriages from compared from 1960 to now, or like it's like down by almost half. Right. So, it's because there's a, you have a lot more couples just being like, "Ah, eh, I'm cool being in common law. We don't need the big wedding. We don't need to. We don't need to spend all the money and all that. We're fine and and things like that." So the common laws, there's definitely that is increasing, and with that comes other issues and concerns. So, common law is after three years if you're living with someone or if there's a child. If there's a child born, then you're immediately considered common law. Recommendation is to kind of keep the assets and savings separate or have like a cohabitation agreement. These prenups, cohabitation agreements, they're becoming more common nowadays, just really because separations and divorce are more common. People are getting married later in life like when they actually have assets <laughs> compared to like when you're in your 20s and you own nothing. <laughs> and the prices of houses now are significantly higher. So that causes a whole bunch of other issues. And that's why these cohabitation agreements are becoming more common. Common. So what a lot of people kind of get wrong is with common law spouses, they're not necessarily entitled to the home if they don't own it. So if I own a house, I start dating someone and they move in and I pay everything. And that common law spouse isn't contributing to expenses of the property, the mortgage, paying any rent, upkeep, taxes, nothing. And that's somewhat documented and things like that. They, they aren't entitled to the home. Now, it is important to talk to your lawyer about this one when entering a new relationship. If you have assets, it's supposedly around these cohabitation agreements and that it's an easier conversation than it was say when I got, I got married uh, almost 20 years ago, because they are much more common. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, I can't even imagine back then asking Tina to sign one of those. She would have probably <laughs> punch, punched, punched me right in the trachea. But uh, so, so right now I am, it, 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 this is a much more common practice. And it just because it has to be because the situations and, and the, the conditions have changed. And actually, actually, while we we're speaking of that, Patrice, about the house that actually with common law, that actually reminds me to go back to the will here for a second. So if the car, if um, let's say the guy dies and same scenario, I'm in the house, um, my, my girlfriend moves in and I die and the house is everything's in my name because she just she moved in. She has no claim against that house. And now the house is going to go to my estate, not necessarily her. So you would want this in your, if your will that the house would go to her and she would continue to live there. If not, the house could go to the estate. Family is now involved. Doesn't like your partner. You can kind of see where all that's going. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So that's just something else to think of as well while we're touching on that. There's a lot of stuff to get through here and you know, and it all seems to be contingent on something else. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. These are just tips to get people thinking yeah. in that, but yeah. you need financial advisor, lawyer, accountant involved. And it's not, it's not to scare people to procrastinate because you need those individuals involved. It's just, it's important to, to, to get, to go through this. Like I said, you're, you're paying a lifetime of tax, every tank of gas that you fill, everything you buy, the last thing you want to do on the way out is give more. So by going through all of this, first of all, it gives you a significant peace of mind. I remember actually one lawyer telling me one of the best parts of his job wasn't like obviously separations, divorce, or uh, corporate, any of that stuff. It was actually seeing the relief on a couple's face after they had finally signed and and completed all the will and power of attorney um, documents. So I just, I always remember him saying that. That was just interesting. I'm going to touch also now here on parents gifting money to children. There's been... Why is because a couple of things. First of all, it's increased significantly. And there's been quite a few articles in the media about this lately because there's been record amounts of money given to kids from or adult children from parents. And actually in 2021, I remember reading this the other day, 30% of all first-time homebuyers in Canada had received a financial gift from their family. So first off, parent is giving the money to a child in Canada. It's different for you, Patrice, on, on the south of the border here, but in Canada... If the parent gives money, it's tax-free. Since tax has already been paid on that, there's no limit on how much a parent can gift an adult child. Okay. Now, if the adult child invests it and makes interest or a rate of return off it, well, then they have to pay interest off it. Mm-hmm. Now, the rules are different, though. You give money to a children under the age of 18. There's a thing called attribution that comes into play, and just me, just I'm not going to get into that. But it just the rules are different. So. The, it has to be over the age of 18 or you can get into other other issues. If you do gift money to your kids so they can buy a new home, really important. We are talking before about the cohabitation agreements. Well, this kind of ties into that as well, that you want to make sure that you're there's a gifting letter written up by a lawyer to protect that gift so that if the adult child got into a breakup with a common law or, or anything else, they'd be able to retain the value of that gift in the event of a breakup. And if your child is moving in with adult child, when I keep talking about child here, I'm talking about adult child right, over right. the age 18. Okay. If they're moving in with someone and you both have assets and things, your child and their partner have assets, you just want to obviously make sure they both have separate lawyers with they're moving in. 
what I've noticed is this has been a really interesting shift in the last last few years is 10 years ago when I was talking to couples in their 40s for planning and retirement and their, and their children and all that, it was like, yeah, we want to be debt-free when we retire, have money set aside for the children's education and money for retirement. That was kind of the staple of couples in their 40s and their goals. Now, those goals are still the same. But what's interesting now in these conversations is the couples bring up, and they even feel almost obligated to do this, is on how they will be able to get their child into their first home. Really? So that's now, yeah. And that's not like, that's not a, that's not a small little thing to add to retirement, oh. like an extra, extra trip or an extra day of golf per week. Like that is a significant price tag, but you have these parents trying to figure out how they can help them out because they're nervous of, well, I want my child to stay in Ontario. I don't want them to move provinces oh, or countries Oh, because oh. the cost is here. So then we now have some clients, like they're buying investment properties, not to ever make profit on or sell, but to literally have somewhere for their child or the finances for their child for a first home. Now, this isn't everybody because this is that's a significant amount of money that now needs to be earmarked for that. It's just interesting that the conversation, these couples, they somewhat feel like that's on them a bit to do that after now reading about how many parents are giving these gifts to the children and everything else to help them out with their first home. Mm. So very, and it, it's all to do because the prices of houses have just gone crazy. So it changes a lot of planning. So from the estate planning perspective, like when you gift money to an adult child though, you are, there is benefits to that, to the parent, such as you're potentially reducing the size of the estate and you're reducing probate and taxes because if you gift money now that the tax has already been paid on, or you take the money out of your investments, you pay the tax. It now goes to your bank account. And now you gifted the child. Yeah. You're paying some tax, mm -hmm. but it's most likely less tax than when you pass away. And then everything's taxed on that day of death. So it does help for that. Also, there's also the emotional side that you're giving this money to an adult child and you gain the rewards of seeing them use it now versus if you just leave it in the will, you don't, get to sit back and see how them use it. And there's, yeah. have you ever heard of that old saying, old saying, uh, Patrice, that it's better to give with a warm hand than a cold hand? No, I haven't. Yeah. <laughs> I <laughs> so, like that Yeah. And that's where this saying comes from is that basically it's better to give with a warm hand. You're still alive. Your hands are warm than a cold hand when you're dead. Right. So that's where that saying comes from. But the trick to that is not giving away too much that you spoil them so much because money can be, money is a tool, and but it can, it's a magnifier. So for better or for worse, and then what I mean by that is if you gift money to a child for a house, perfect, that definitely helps them. But if you give it to a child that has like, say, gambling or a substance issue, obviously you'd have to be a little bit careful of that. So also the other thing you have to be careful about is you don't want to give away too much that you've now curbed your retirement lifestyle. Yes. And I hear that from a lot of people too. Got to be careful of that. I always tell my clients when, cause you'll, they'll be stressed and they want to give more and they want to help. And we, we go, there's no guessing. That's what we do. We go through all of that to show them. Yes, you can give this a week. 
We'll take their expenses. We take inflation. This is all, all we, we do all this. All they need to do, all they need to do is fill out the cash flow sheet to tell us what their current expenses are. And that's it. And then we figure out how much can they give mm-hmm. and what does that look like? And sometimes they want to give more. And then I take it out of the, the planner software and shows, okay, you can do that. But now it's showing that there's going to be a shortfall at age 82, 81, 78. The average life expectancy is 83 to 85, depending if you're male or female. So what do we do around that? And it just, it, it really helps them make peace of mind. Now, some clients, they can give it away and no problem. They can give away more. But what I always tell them is that kids can always borrow for a house or education, but you can't borrow for retirement. So it's really important to work with an advisor on that gift amount to make sure that that's figured out. I love that idea. You can borrow for a house, but you can't borrow for retirement. Yeah. And yes, the houses are more and you can help them out, but then the degree of how much that gift should be is just exactly in line with that, that it doesn't want to be so much that you now are, are shortfalling because like, like we just mentioned, you can't borrow for retirement. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's pretty much it. I just have one last thing. One a very important thing with all of this is that once you go through all of this, is to have it organized and to have it put in one place. And what I mean by that, it's very important to have a financial organizer or like a binder or a folder. Binder's better. Some people use memory sticks. It's just, unfortunately, memory sticks can fail. I love technology, but for this, I still do like a binder. You can even have a memory stick in the binder. I just, binders don't fail. (laughs) So I still like that. And this is something that would be organized in case a spouse or a child, because some people think, oh, it's okay. It's in case the, if the couple passes away that they need this binder or somewhere for the executor children to know. No, not the case. Like we have a lot of times with finances, there's usually one person in the relationship that is more in charge and in control of the fi- finances or has a better grasp on the finances, I should say, than the other. It's more rare that they're equal. Usually someone in the relationship d- takes on that role more than the other. So we have had cases and we, we know this with our clients and that's why we, we do a lot more planning around this once we get to, to meet with the clients and learn and get a relationship with them. It obviously doesn't take us very long to figure out who that is. And then we have to start crash testing and making sure that if that individual passes away, that the other one has an idea where everything is and it's mm-hmm. organized. So it's not just if the couple passes away, it could be first if the spouse passes away because the other spouse for the last 30 years just has no idea. Right. Um, we had a, a, a newer client that came to us because, because of that scenario. She had never even paid a bill in 30 years, had no idea. Like it, her husband did absolutely everything. So she was just lost. We had to go help her with absolutely everything because she was like, just had, he's just always took care of it. It's a steep learning curve. It's a very steep learning curve for someone. Well, on top of one of the most stressful situations yeah. and you're trying to grieve and a whole bunch of other factors and make big decisions on on money and you have just not dealt with it, at, and I mean this scenario, at all for 30 years. Basically, what this is, is a one-stop place to just keep the essential information and documents for like basically ongoing reference and even like emergencies, like if someone and if they, one of them ended up in the hospital. So we we have clients complete this and review it every two years. We help them go through it. We only do this though once the will is done, and that's kind of the kick in the butt for them to mm-hmm. like get the will done because a lot of clients uh, they get excited to get this binder because it's 
peace of mind that everything is in one place. It's got tabs, it's organized, but we won't start going through it unless the the will is done because we just want, want to make sure that all of that's done. And in our financial organizers, the second last tab in the binder is the estate directory. And that's what has all the important documents, marriage license, deed to the house, medical contacts, contact info for your financial advisor, lawyer, accountant, bank accounts, investment property. You, you kind of, And we also even have a section in there called what's in your wallet. Now, some clients do it, some don't, but we say photocopy everything that's in your wallet and put it in the back page. So it's great if, you pa- if, it, if they passed away, but also if they lose their wallet. Yes. Um, Facebook passwords, everything. Now, you obviously don't leave this binder on the coffee table when the, in the family room where everybody sits. Like you want it somewhere safe. But our clients, they, we just find they absolutely love these binders. Um, yeah. Actually, that's like a great idea. One one example I'll give of this is I remember this is a long this is a while ago. It was an older gentleman, a client of ours, and he had had a, had a few kids, and he just his wife had passed away. He had never spoke to them about any of this. He just wouldn't speak to him. He was actually very tough for me to get through eventually. And and that his investments, no problem. But when it came to estate planning, just didn't really want to talk about it. Just would always kind of try to avoid it. And then it was one time he told me, you need to come down to my house and we need to go through all this. So I drove down, we sat in his porch and we hacked it out for a good couple hours and got everything filled out and went through everything. Nine months later, he passed away and at work. It was, it was, yeah, I'm just happy we went through it. But I remember when I, I remember when I was at the celebration of life, one of the kids was talking to all of her friends and she saw me walk by and she, I, I, she walked through the circle of her friends to came up, come up and hug me because she was like, we have, would have been screwed. We had no idea about so much this because dad would never, ever, ever, ever talk about it. And she was just so thankful because the amount of work that saved them. Exactly. Plus, she knew it was fresh, and what he actually wanted was huge. And that was just that was I don't know. It was a that was a pretty cool thing as a financial advisor. You get you get those over a career, and that was definitely uh, in my top ten so far for sure. <laughs> I, I believe it. And it, again, you brought them peace of mind. Yeah, probably to him, was, and obviously to his kids too. Yeah. Yeah. So no, it was, it's just important to have it organized. So anyways, that's it today for today, Patrice. I think I touched on enough. You touched on a (laughs) a lot, Chris, a lot. And you also raised more questions. So how can listeners reach you to get some answers? Yeah. So my website, there's a contact page there and you can actually even book the appointment right there online because it links to my schedule for, uh, uh, initially it's always a 20 minute chat on the phone or zoom appointment. I always prefer zoom. Uh, but it's up to the individual, and really, it's just a chance for me to hear your story, to to make sure that I can that we can be a fit for you. So that's really what it is: is just click on, book a twenty minute chat, and let's just let me hear your story, and let's just have a coffee virtually. All right, and that's Chris Darrow. This is his podcast, The Ride: Life, Work, and Wealth. Follow that way; you're going to know when the latest episode is ready for you, and share with friends and family. Think of all the information here that they might find useful. Thank you for listening to The Ride, Life, Work, and Wealth Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. 
All comments are of a general nature and should not be relied upon as individual advice. The views and opinions expressed in this commentary may not necessarily reflect those of Harborfront Wealth Management. While every attempt is made to ensure accuracy, facts and figures are not guaranteed. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing or tax advice. Please seek advice from your accountant regarding anything raised in the content of the podcast regarding your individual tax situation. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.